And we start today's show with a very special birthday shout out. Happy birthday, Kim McCarthy. Keep up the great work on your hiking journey. Your boys are lucky to have a mom that can teach them to navigate on a mountain, and you make doing it all seem easy. In the woods, we return to reason and faith. Emerson. Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603 356 2137. And here's your forecast for Friday, September 22nd, and Saturday, September 23rd. Friday, in and out of the clouds, trending towards mostly cloudy skies, high in the mid 40s, winds north shifting east at 5 to 20 miles per hour, wind chill rising to 30 to 40 above. Friday night, in the clear under mostly cloudy skies, low around 40 degrees, east winds at 10 to 25 miles per hour, wind chill falling to 25 to 35 above. Saturday, in the clear under mostly cloudy skies with a slight chance of rain showers, high in the mid 40s, winds east shifting southeast at 10 to 25 miles per hour. from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Stomp. So welcome to episode 122. Um, you already recorded the weather situation, so it's going to be a wet weekend for us. Is that what I'm seeing? Uh, well, surprisingly, not as bad as I thought. Um, I mean, slight chance of showers and whatnot, but uh, it does seem to be improving a little bit as we get closer to Saturday. 
Yeah, I think we're getting more rain down here in Massachusetts. Yeah, for sure. It's changing. All right. Hey, what is this um, birthday shout-out? Am I supposed to read this right now? No, no, I already did that. That's that's leading in. Uh, I already recorded it, so it comes in before the show even starts. This is so. How do you get like? How do you get a birthday shout out? Like, what are the rules oh, for that? Oh, okay. So the rules. So this is just sort of a, a random thing that happened. Um, a listener reached out to us and asked if we could do a special shout out, and uh, in lieu of a donation to New Hampshire Outdoor Council, and thought that was a great idea. And uh, oh. yeah. So that's it. So um, I'm not sure if anybody else would want to take advantage of that, but that's pretty cool if you make a donation, get a shout out. Not a bad idea. Yeah, no, that's not bad at all. As long as they're making a donation, I was curious because I was like, if we're just doing this like a, to be nice, like then the the problem with doing these is that like you know this could take all day. Well, the problem is, is that like Mrs. Mike and Mrs. Stomp listen to it. It's like if you, it's like your friends that are like, oh, I bring my wife home flowers every, every day. Right. And <laughs> yeah, that's great. But then like you go and hang out with them and then the guy's like, oh, I bring my wife home flowers every day. And then like my, Mrs. Mike's looking at me being like, where's my flowers? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. it, yeah, vicious yeah, so circle. Too many birthday shout outs. But if you're going to make a donation, then. I think I can explain it to Mrs. Mike. Yeah, yeah. It was a sizable donation, too. Hey, yeah, not too bad. Hey now. Pretty cool. Okay, well, happy happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, so, Stomp, welcome to episode 122 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we revisit a recent backpacking trip to Yosemite National Park. Uh, thinking about planning a trip to Yosemite and need some ideas for an itinerary, we have you covered as this episode we will review our travels throughout Yosemite, including camping outside of Glacier Point, views of Mount Star King, Illouette Falls, the Panorama Trail, Nevada Falls, Little Yosemite Campground, Half Dome, the Mist Trail, Curry Village, and we even saw a black bear munching on grubs by the side of the road surrounded by tourists. Nice. All this plus Ben Pease from the Hiking Buddies joins us for an update on all things Hiking Buddies. We've got more car break-ins. We've got contingency plans in case one of either me or Stomp dies and uh, we need to hire a replacement. We've got geysers, fake drownings, hiking drama in the Grand Canyon, and search and rescues um, going on all at the same time in the Whites this week. So rescues on the Avalon Trail, the Jewel Trail, Mount Cube, Monadnock. So I'm back from the West Coast. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Good. Stop. Jeez, that was a that was a long one. Yeah. Hi, this is Ben Pease from Hiking Buddies. We are a 501c3 nonprofit committed to reducing avoidable tragedies through education, impactful projects, and fostering a community of support. You can find out more at hikingbuddies.org. We wanted to say thank you to those who have supported our mission, and most importantly, say thanks to those who speak up, who ask questions, and who are willing to provide guidance and assistance on the trails when needed. You embody what it means to be a hiking buddy. And now, for all my newer hikers out there, here's this episode's Hiking Buddies Quick Tip. When preparing for your hike, check out NewEnglandTrailConditions.com 
to find out some of the recent submissions by hikers or also to submit your own hike with details about the weather conditions, terrain, and other things hikers might want to know when they go to take a hike on that trail. So I'm uh, I'm currently deaf. I cannot hear anything, just so the listeners know. So I feel like, I don't know, it's a very odd thing. I'm trying to work out some gremlins with my uh, system at the moment. So if I seem a little off kilter or off step, it's because I cannot hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Stomp's million dollar oh. system and it's like <laughs> ridiculous. He can't get his audio working. Yeah, it's weird. I can't figure it out. Uh, we'll figure it out one of these days. Anywho. All right. All right, so so uh, let's just get right into like party. I'll get I'll do a deeper segment on Yosemite, but like, let's get right into this half dome climb. Yes. So, what do you know about half dome? Oh, just the uh, the sheer beauty of it, and the size, and the intensity of it. And I guess for for average hikers, you are approaching it by a stairway, more or less. Not a stairway, but a, a, a gated. Uh, rail yeah, that goes up right cable system yeah, yeah 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 cable system yeah so anyway so i climbed this thing and i was like i watched a bunch of videos i saw some friends like um like uh dolores and danielle and that whole crew had gone up there like a couple of weeks before so i watched some of their stuff and i watched some videos on youtube and i was like okay well it's 400 feet of climbing on the cable section so i was sort of like okay well this isn't um this isn't going to be too bad, but I'll tell you right now, when I got to Subdome and I started looking at those cables, yeah. it's like probably 60-70% grade going up to a couple of sections. And I'll describe it in a little bit more detail in a minute, but I was very nervous Tom, going up this thing. It was like way scarier than I expected. Really? Huh. Yeah. Even yeah. with the cables? Even with the cables, I was like freaking out because you're on the you're on these metal you're on a metal wire with a bunch of strangers that you have no idea what their coordination is, you know, or whether or not they're going to slip and fall, and they could they could easily take you out. I'm shocked that there's not more people that die doing this thing. Well, I did notice that you had some gloves on. Yeah, yeah, you got to wear gloves because you you got 400 feet of cable and you're you're it's really more of an upper body thing than a lower body thing. It's like I mean it's balanced, but you're you're hanging on. Right by uh, you know by your by your gloved hands on the cable. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, so the half dome climb. It's basically from a uh, from where we started, which was Little Yosemite Campground. the The total elevation gain was about twenty eight hundred feet of elevation in about eight or nine miles. Mm-hmm. So it's almost the equivalent of like going up. Musalak via Gorge Brook. Um, I think like South Moat, Middle Moat was another one that I looked at my Strava that was, I was looking for basically equivalent distance and elevation gain. Yeah. So it was about Musalaki or um, even Mount Pogus was another one that came close right. as far as distance. So it's not like a crazy climb for elevation when you're going from the campground, but it's very gradual in the beginning. And then the last, probably the last like, 1200 feet are really steep because you go up um this section called sub dome and then you hit half dome so huh. we left at like six in the morning six thirty in the morning it was a little bit dark had our headlamps on i was with my friend tom so tom was I, tom was like oh maybe i should join you on the podcast and i'm like yeah that's fine but i've had a little bit too much tom time so i'm gonna <laughs> let him come back maybe at another time okay. so five days with tom is enough right now i'm sorry tom <laughs> if you're listening but, right understood um, but uh, it would be the same if I was hanging out with you, Stomp. I'd be like, I'm, uh, we need a week. We need a week. 
So um, <laughs> six feet. Anyway, we're we're leaving the campground, and we saw we could see the headlamps going up Half Dome in the morning, which was super cool. So it was dark out, and then we could see the uh, the headlamps for people that were already up there. Um, as we started making it, it was an easy climb. We started seeing other hikers. Most of the people hiking it actually leave from the bottom of the valley, so they're doing like an eighteen mile hike. And um, a lot of them, it's sort of like going to a Red Sox game when you're outside the gate, people are looking for permits. So you need a permit to climb this thing. So a lot of people just wing it and they go up there and they're like, if I can find another hiker that has an extra permit, I can jump in with them. So it's a little bit of a, like a, a, a scalper situation on the trail. Like everyone's <laughs> sort of asking each other, do you have a permit? I need a permit. Do you need a permit? Whatever. Oh my God. Like one girl had a sign on her back that was like, today's my birthday and I need a permit to climb <laughs> Half Dome. So she found somebody that gave her, you know, let her sit in on her permit. So... Anyway, you hike up this first section that's maybe about three and a half miles from the campground, and then you get to, um, the best way to describe this is it's sort of like Carter Ledge. It's like an open view where you can see Half Dome and you can see Sub Dome, and it's like a wide ledge that you go on, and then you get to this point where there's a ranger there. Yeah. And the ranger basically just, he checks your permits, he's got like an iPad, and then he will give you a spiel. He's basically like, um, you know, this is a dangerous hike. You need to, you know, we suggest you wear gloves. Some people wear climbing gear and a carabiner, but we don't, we don't advise you do that. You need to be in good physical condition. If it's raining, we, we suggest that you, you know, you don't climb this. If there's any inclement weather coming in, get down as fast as possible. If you have any accidents, you know, you're three to four hours away from a rescue. So just be prepared. So, Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I, did that. I had no idea. Spiel. Yeah. And uh, of course, I was like, I was like, um, do you know Moose? Because we had Moose on. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know Moose. So I was telling him about how uh, Moose was on the podcast uh, and all that. And he asked the name of the podcast and he laughed. He thought it was, he's like, that's the best name for a podcast ever. So it was pretty cool. Um, so anyway, so I'm with my friend Tom. We head up and. You know, we get we we climb subdome. So the subdome section, there's no cables or anything. It's just basically stairs that are kind of carved into the side of this very steep section that goes up about 600 feet to 700 feet. So climb up subdome. We go past a bunch of different hikers. There was like a couple where the guy was clearly like not into it and the girl was like let's go she was all excited and it was a, like an Indian couple and the lady was like I'm all gung ho and the guy's like scared out of his sure. mind but he doesn't want to embarrass himself so he's like sucking it up but you could tell that this guy was out of his element the, then there was like a mom and two daughters that were in front of us and then me and Tom I think and then we get to the we get to the subdome section where you can see the cables and that's where you, it hit us like wow this is way steeper than we expected. Um, so Tom's a little bit slower yeah. than me, and he's way more cautious. So there was no way I wanted to be anywhere near him, like behind him. So we got we got going. He was fiddling with his stuff. So I got my gloves on, and <laughs> there was a bit of an opening. So I was like, I'm just going to hit the cables. I'll see you up there. So the way the cables are set up is that you've got the cables that are that are um, bore into the rock on either side, and then you've got these stanchions, which are these metal um, poles that are basically the, um, 
you know, the stands to prop up the, the cables. And then on the bottom of the stanchions, you have two by fours, but not every set of stanchions has two by fours. So there's like the first 10 sections or so have stanchions in, in the wood that you can stand on. Then there's these big, long sections that don't have any wood on them. So you have to really kind of hold on with your gloved hands on the cables. And that's the steepest section there. So I was behind, I was coming up and yeah. there was two people coming down when we hit that first steep section. Mm-hmm. One lady couldn't make it. She started slipping. So I had to put my foot like halfway up and I told her, I was like, just anchor your foot on top of my foot and then that'll give you a stopping spot where you can then reach the wooden two by four that's closer to you. So okay. I'm like, I, I don't know why I got to help this person, but I, I helped her out. Then her friend came, and her friend actually was was clipped into a carabiner, but the carabiner rope was like hitting the ground. So I'm like, I don't want to trip on this thing. This seems dangerous. If you get hooked on this thing, it's going to be a mess. So she's struggling with the same situation, but I think her friend kind of helped her out. Yeah. So I was like, I don't want to be anywhere near these two. Uh, so I, I was able to get past them. And then from there, it was pretty much like a clear climb. I think I had a couple of people that I had to like pass that were coming down. But for the most part, it was a clear climb. Yeah. But when you get up to the top of, and so I got up to that top of Half Dome, it's huge. It's like multiple football fields. It's like being on the surface of the moon or something. Uh, but there was like a bunch of right. people that were like really close to the edge. There was like a young kid that kept going super close to the edge and it was giving me sweaty palms. So I was like, I, got, I can't be near this guy. So... <laughs> I headed over to the other side of Half Dome to look down into the valley. But and then I sort of started coming back. I saw Tom. He had finally made it up. And all I kept thinking about was we were there early, but I didn't want to get stuck on top and have a bunch of people that were coming up. And I would be stuck on those cables for like an hour, hour and a half because it can get crowded. Sure. Makes so sense. I I was up there maybe a half hour, 40 minutes, taking a bunch of pictures. I talked to Tom for about 10 minutes. And then I was like, Tom, I'm going to head down. I've seen enough. Uh, so I started heading down. And sure enough, like halfway through, I was with a group of young guys and they were moving pretty quickly. So it was great. But halfway through, we got held up for about 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so. There was an older guy coming up and he had to stop at every two by four because he was looking at his heart rate. The guy, no joke, stomp, says to me, or doesn't say to me, says to his friend, he's like, well, my heart rate's at 162. I've got to let it come down before I keep moving. (laughs) So he's halfway on the cables. And I'm like, you got 162 beats per minute on your heart and you're yep. waiting for your heart rate to go down and you're in a 60 degree angle on the cables of half dome dude your heart rate is not going down this is a, this is a trend a lot of people are starting to do this you know they they figure out their target heart rate or their their maximum heart rate and they stop yeah. until it yep. goes into the safe range yeah, and I'm like, dude, you're putting everybody else at risk because you're stopped and they can't get around you. So mm. anyway, so he moved on and then I made it down and I was like so relieved. I mean, I, so my, I'm pretty, like, I've done hunting intervene. I've done all kinds of stuff. I was very unsettled. I mean, you look to either side when you're on the ropes or the cables and it's like, you know, it, it's so steep. And if you slip and fall, you're dead and you're going down like 3,000 feet. So it, it was the most unsettling experience I've ever had. It was fun, but I'm, I wouldn't jump to do it again. Yeah, yeah. So do they close it when it's rainy? They don't close it when it's raining. Um, oh, maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the um, the um, 
the ranger will tell people like, no, you're not going up there or whatever. But there's huh. been nine deaths as far as I can tell in the last like 50, 60 years. And I think five of them have been due to in cases where it was raining. The last one was in 2018 during a rain rainstorm. The lady slipped outside of the cables, was apparently kind of within 10 feet of the cables. People were trying to get her. She eventually slipped and fell to her death. Oh, um, so how did she get out? It, I don't know what happened in that case. That's it's, crazy. It's, it's, un, it's unclear. It was raining. I think she might have hmm. slept or something. So Wow. So what um, steepness would you compare this to, like to something I in the would, I would compare this to the section on Huntington Ravine where you're going up in that little like chimney, which is maybe 100 feet, but this is like four to 500 feet of that. Right. <laughs> oh, it's, boy. It's that steep. That's pretty, yeah. pretty gnarly. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, but it was fun. I mean, it, and I I spent a lot of time chilling out in Subdome. I got a time lapse video waiting for Tom to come down. Um, yeah, I saw that. That was cool. Yeah, they limit the the permits to five hundred per day. So it used to be that they had unlimited. In twenty ten, they they um they put in a permit system, but it used to be they would get over a thousand people a day, and they would have huge lines going up there and um. You know, it's it's a much better system now with the permits, but you know, you are up there mixed in with people that you don't know what their skill level is, you don't know what their coordination level is, you don't know what their health is, mm-hmm. and you're on a wire with them. And if something goes wrong, like and they're above you, like you, you could be at risk. Yeah. Well, that's why I want to talk about our slasher secession plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're thinking about like a, um, a backup plan in case one of us dies, right? Yeah, I guess we should. I mean, I don't know. If one of us, if would one you, of us would bites you go it, on? Well, that's I feel the question. Like you should not go on with me. No, me. no, I don't think I would, to be honest with you. I think I would call it a day and maybe start up yeah. some political podcast. <laughs> oh, I mean, I would go on without you, but I mean, you couldn't go on without me. <laughs> no, no, I don't think I'd want to, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think I would either. I mean, with you slipping off half dome or something, I think we should probably maybe like try out some backup co-host or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I'll say, That's like, funny. I would say, um, you know, if you're relatively comfortable, if you've done some terrifying twenty fives and you're down for an adventure, like, yeah, it's fun, do it. Um, I talked to some people, you know, some friends online, and I talked to some other people. There's another summit that's very close by called Clouds Rest yeah. that actually, the other thing about Half Dome is that it doesn't have great views. So it's a big flat area. So you, you don't have 360 views. Like Subdome is actually better because you have like 270 degree views, plus you've got the view of the cables going up. So that's a better spot for pictures and, and, <clears throat> and scenery. Um, half dome you've got to go to the edge which is really unsettling and then you can only see like a quarter of the views and you have to kind of go around the whole top of it because it's very flat so um gotcha clouds rest which is the summit that's a little bit past it you can do that and get 360 views and even see like more of the north of uh, yosemite so people say that that's an even better hike hmm. Hey, what's the story with this new crack that showed up there on one of the popular climbing routes, Royal Arches? You, did you hear anything about this? I didn't hear anything about this. So Stomp found this article um, about a, like a rock climbing area. So what I can tell you is that like these, these like um, rock formations are like they're unique. I, I think that they come up from the ground as sort of pushed up by pressure and 
you know, the continuous flat sort of surfaces and walls. And what Stomp found is a climbing area that had to be closed because a large crack is actively um, making its way through. So I suspect yeah. that when these cracks happen, what happens is, is that like a, a section of the wall is eventually going to fall off and shear right off. Yeah, I would think so. So therefore the yeah. closure. Yeah, this yeah. this crack is uh, 200 feet long at the moment. And somebody had climbed it when it first opened up and then they caught wind and closed the area down just for safety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was honestly thinking about that stomp. I was like halfway up the cables and I was like, what if like an earthquake hit right about now? <laughs> of course you were thinking that. <laughs> it would be like all over. <laughs> I don't know what I would think. I'd, I'd probably try to close my mind down and just look at my feet as I was going up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, if Good I stuff. fell and, and fell off a half dome stomp, you could keep going. And then, what is this? We 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 theorized if you got electrocuted by DJing in a hurricane, um, <laughs> would I continue on here? And I think you know I would. I would I would do a memorial <laughs> show and then call it call it. Well, that's what I did last weekend. It was the tail end of Hurricane Lee, and uh, we were holding on to the tents so they wouldn't blow away. And uh, had a couple big gusts, but uh, thankfully I survived and I was not electrocuted. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, but that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, and then, so just a listener alert here. Um, there's been more car break-ins, so Mel and Floki, so Mel and Floki had joined us, so Floki's the hiking cat. Yeah. Um, they had joined us, uh, probably, I don't know, 50 episodes ago, something like that, and um, what were they out in the Adirondacks? I don't know. Um, I didn't see the actual post. I got this secondhand from Mrs. Stomp. Got it. Yeah. So anyway, I think that they were in the Adirondacks. So it wasn't like, you know, we tell people don't leave stuff in your car, but sometimes you don't have a choice. Um, but anyway, Mel and Floki, they got their car broken into the backpack that she uses to carry Floki and all of her gear and her wallet and all of her stuff got stolen. So yeah, totally stinks. Um, you know, I don't think she was really looking for anything out of this, just sort of like warning people. But some of her friends, um, I think her friend Riley put up a, a GoFundMe. So if you, if you, can find it in your heart to help out um to help her replace her stuff even if you don't want to donate money if you want to reach out to her and ask her what she needs and me you know i'm sure she'd appreciate it mm -hmm. uh but anyway we'll include the the gofundme in our show notes and then we're putting it on our socials as well so mel floki we hope to see you out there and sorry that that happened it sucks yeah that's why i don't like to go hiking anymore <laughs> the last is that your excuse <laughs> that's it <laughs> Oh boy! Oh, I think you you're also bitter because my Yosemite stories on Instagram <laughs> um, won out on the surveys over your kitty cat pictures. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got smoked. It was close, but <laughs> two to one, two to one is close, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I like the goat. The goat's awesome. I was like laying in my tent, like trying to figure out. I'm like, what is going on with this goat? <laughs> He just likes good good singing. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, we'll do a deeper dive in Yos about Yosemite in a moment, but yeah. uh, we got a couple of stories here, Stomp, that you pulled. Do you want to run through a couple of these? I haven't looked at them yet. Sure. Yeah. This this is a nice little story here. It's um, There are bigger and better geysers than Old Faithful in Yellowstone. So that's the headline. And geysers are sort of cool, but um, it goes by several criteria. They look at the height of uh, several geysers throughout the nation. They look at the picturesque 
quality, uh, the element of danger surrounding some of the geysers. Uh, let's see, reliability in terms of how often they erupt. And uh, it's actually a really neat article, and um, it may inform you as to different geysers that are available to see uh, on your trip out west to not Yosemite, but Yellowstone, for instance. So check it out. Yep. It's pretty cool. Nice resource. Yeah. And you can, if you go to Iceland, there's some geysers too. We saw, we saw a couple of those. I don't know. I saw, I watched it. I was like, okay, it blew up and it blew up again. And I was like, I'm ready to go. What's next? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> and uh, wow. Let's see. We have some hikers getting trampled by moose. Let's see what this story is all about. So a protective moose with a calf tramples a hiker in Colorado. Uh, wildlife authorities in Colorado are, are reminding visitors, as they always have to, to keep their distance from wild animals after a moose trampled a hiker. The hiker said they were looking at a moose for some time, and when they were done, they tried to leave while maintaining distance from the animal. But the moose kept moving closer and closer to them, according to the officials. As the moose approached, one of the hiker's dogs began barking, and that prompted the moose to come at the hikers trampling one of them. That's not a good day. So, I mean, we say this over and over again. Don't go near these damn things because you're going to get an, end up uh, end up getting really hurt. True. Yeah. And I just saw one today before I logged on. Um, apparently, some grizzlies were following some hikers, but I did not post that one. That one came in a little late from some of the listeners. I actually, I added it down at the, um, the bottom under search and rescue news, but I'll just put the link in. We don't have to include that in the search and rescue news, but yeah, it was a, that was a cool video. Cause it was like a group of the, here's grizzlies. what I observed stop. So it, this is a video. I think it's in Banff national park, which is in Canada, two grizzlies, a mother, and then a juvenile grizzly. So I'm assuming that the juvenile will be kicked out of the den in the, in the next couple of months or so, but they were stalking a group of hikers so there was probably like six hikers and the guide was talking on this article so we'll include it in the show notes Mm. she sort of kept everybody calm they kept making noise they kept moving but not running and the bears followed them for i think about 15 minutes or so but the funny thing is i noticed like the the people that were like stuck in the back were the two women in the group and then all the guys were like coming forward so they were like clearly putting the women in between them and the bears <laughs> that's funny yeah. oh my which goodness. I think if Mrs. if you ask Mrs. Mike she'd say that that's what I would do <laughs> oh boy that's scary as hell anyway yes. hey so there's another um, interesting story you know how some of these animals are starting to get smarter and, and this is not a joke so there's no pun at the end of this one but there um, is a bear family it's a mama bear and her cubs that are repeatedly ripping down trail cameras so the mama bear has learned how to just destroy these cameras for whatever reason and now she's taught her cubs to do the same so they've put up cameras they've ripped them down they put them back up at the same spot they come back and they rip them down it's a really interesting story getting smart aren't they yeah, they are. They yeah. probably are attracted. I think those those trail cameras, maybe they have like little lights in them or reflectors oh, or something. Possibly, yeah. Who knows? But it yeah. is really interesting. So, so that's the animal stories of the week. Now, we have some big news coming up here. We won't um, really give a ton of detail, but November 11th, 2023, we're having an event at Reckless. Uh, it will be at the Pint House, and uh, we'll keep the the guests under the hat at the moment, but this will be a ticketed event, and uh, we're really excited about this. So 
keep a lookout and we will keep you posted. November 11th, Saturday afternoon uh, at Reckless. And some people so have posted no that. No details yet, Stomp? No, no. No details. Nope. No details. Top secret. So the audience knows exactly the same amount of details that I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. You've been away, so I'll fill you in after we're done recording. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, come visit us. I get nervous. Oh, the, the other thing is um, there apparently is some race during the day, so it's the 5K Rescue Me, and um, this should not interfere because this will be in the afternoon to evening. So have no okay. fear. Okay. Very good. Oh, so. all right. This next story is fantastic. Do you want to cover this one? This is a, a criminal uh, story. It's right up your alley. I think yeah, you're going like to like this one. stuff. I like this. So, missing kayaker found alive after faking his own death to avoid. Ooh, isn't that wild? Ch- yeah, child rape charges. So this guy's right. a real scumbag. Um, so a man who was reported missing and presumed drowned after kayaking in the Mississippi River. This is in Louisiana. Yeah. Was found alive and taken into custody. So Melvin MD, a 41 year old man from Oklahoma, was reported missing on August 7th by his son Seth. According to initial reports, MD had allegedly gone overboard and drowned while kayaking on the river just after midnight near Mattis Road in Hanville. So this sounds super shady. Super shady. So um, the sheriff, his name is Sheriff Champagne, says detectives soon became suspicious about the authenticity of MD's disappearance. They discovered that MD was facing charges of indecent liberties with a child and statutory rape of a child in Brunswick County, North Carolina. So we'll put the explicit rating on this one here. Yeah. And he was due in court the same day that his son um, reported him missing. We've seen this a couple of times um, of different people that have tried to sort of avoid court cases. We had one yeah. guy that had been missing on a search and rescue situation when he was supposed to be in, in court. So right. uh, anyway, they I guess they were suspicious of this and um, they kept it quiet for a while they didn't want to publicly expose it for fear of tipping him off Uh, but they were able to track his movements on the day of his disappearance via an ankle monitor that he was wearing so come on uh, they found that he had visited a Walmart so this guy's definitely not a genius no Um, no for sure yeah wow so what a dumbass yeah. Holy moly. So apparently he, they attempted to stop a motorcycle a couple of days later. The driver attempted to flee, crashed before trying to flee on foot. And then uh, he gave a false name. And after fingerprinting, they figured out that it was Mr. MD. So uh, now it's time for Mr. MD to face the music for his charges. So, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> oh, man. Unreal. Yeah. Okay. And, and speaking of like um, scary cables and wires and ladders and stuff like this, I've seen this. This is like a popular like Instagram photo op. There's this um, 300 foot ladder. It's like an aerial ladder that's popular for Instagram, and it's in Austria. And apparently, a 42 year old man whose name has not been publicly revealed plunged into a valley in the uh, Dachstein Mountains near Salzburg, Austria. So yep. the uh, website reported that two helicopter crews and multiple officers rushed to the scene after a man fell off the end of a 120-foot-long ladder known as a Via Ferrata, which which climbers can traverse between cliff faces. 
Uh, apparently, this person was alone on a ladder and um, had fallen. There's no third-party negligence in this. Um, it was an accident. This ladder is on the Grosser Donacogel Mountain, which has an elevation of 6,700 feet and is described on a Dockstein tourism website as being the ultimate adrenaline kick wow. and the highlight of every climbing tour. So this thing is like a, it's basically set up like a ladder, but it has handholds on it. Sure. And um, yeah, it's at an angle between two cliffs, so 300 feet. So yeah, that must have hurt. Oh my goodness, that's terrifying. Yeah, oh. I'm all set with that. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, and then um, oh stomp! I wanted to give a plug to a new company. I haven't like I'm not really given a plug. I just figured people want to check this out. So um, Al had sent this over. I mean, maybe it was. No, it was John Hawk. So thanks, John. John mm -hmm. had sent us over. An Eagle Scout has started an outdoor gear company um, and dedicates a backpack to his late father. So this this gear company is called Near Zero. So I guess this guy's dad was like an ultra, ultra light uh, backpacker going back to the early days. Mm -hmm. And he, his son is an Eagle Scout. So his son's name is Scott. And he started this company. He's out of Mesa, Arizona, and he sells backpacks, sleeping bags, and a variety of other ultralight gear here. So check this out. It's uh, near zero, and he's got a backpack called the Dean, which retails for $200, and he's got a bunch of other products. So the backpack looks pretty interesting. So check it out. I'll, mm. put, it, I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. Great. Near Zero. Zero. That's a good name for a backpacking company. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just a play on weight? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So okay. he's got, it looks like they've got a bundle package. They've got a 50 liter or 55 liter pack. They've got um, sleeping. They've got tents. They've got sleeping bags, pads and pillows. They've got cooking, headlamps. They got everything here. So. Okay. I'm interested in the tent. Matter of fact, the tent looks pretty good. $239 for a one-person ultralight tent. And it weighs... Eh, it's not super light, though. It's two pounds, eight ounces. So that's a little <laughs> heavy for me, but... That's near going. zero. Yes. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, I'm going to put up a uh, link in the show notes here. There are... There's a competition going on. you got to give up your email. So if you have like a burner email, use it for this. Mm -hmm. Um Land Rover is a fancy schmancy car dealership, car company. They've got this product, the car called the Defender, and they're going to give away one of these Defenders to a search and rescue group. So there's five search and rescue groups. There's one in, there's Allegheny Mountain Rescue Group in Pittsburgh. There's Resources and Search and Rescue in Monroe, Connecticut. Squamish Search and Rescue in British Columbia. Tau Search and Rescue in New Mexico, and then Texar in Wimberley, Texas. So you can vote for one of those five. I voted for the Connecticut crew just because it's close by to me. Huh. Um, but whoever wins, you so you can vote one time every day, and then whoever wins the most votes is going to get a Land Rover Defender for their search and rescue organization. Is there a picture of this vehicle? Yeah. Oh, good. So there's also uh, a description of each of the teams. Correct. And what they do. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. Super so, cool. Uh, go in and support your, like, whoever your local team is. You can go ahead and support them. 
Um, huh. But I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, that's that's a really nice idea. It'd be nice to see more larger companies donating to search and rescue efforts. Yes, exactly. Huh. Um, and it's a good-looking SUV, so I don't know what the practicality of it is for search and rescue, but you know, maybe not so much for New Hampshire, but maybe some of these other crews. Possibly. Yeah, back road, off road, winter. Yep. Certainly. Yep. All right, moving cool. on to pop culture talk. Stomp, I got one subject that's not on the script, but why don't you go over what you got here? Go for it. Oh, yeah, you want to wait a minute? Okay. Yep. All right, yeah, I'll start. So we just binged, uh, Mrs. Stomp and I, uh, Blackbird, which is a one-season show on Apple TV, and it's essentially about a a serial killer who's in prison. He's admitted to one murder and has a dozen other bodies that he's buried. So basically they have somebody that has to go into the prison to get into this guy's mind to get him to reveal the location. It's absolutely fascinating and the acting is top notch. We binged it just, you know, in a week or two. It was fantastic. Great, great stuff. And some old faces too, like Greg Kinnear was in there. Um, Ray Liotta, that, w- that was his last performance, I believe, before he passed away. Uh, so fantastic. Awesome. I don't have Apple TV, but I'll uh, maybe maybe I'll switch it up. Yeah, it, it's really great. How about you? Have you been watching So I anything? got one cool thing that I've been following. So um, the European Cycling um, Grand Tours are complete. They just finished the Volta Espana, which... Yep. Um, uh, finished up uh, a couple of days ago, and the winner of the Volta was Jumbo Visma's Sepp Kuss. So Sepp is a Colorado um, mountain specialist. He's what's called a super domestique, but this time he actually found himself in the red jersey for the Volta, and he won. Um, his teammates got behind him, and, and he won the Volta. So this is a huge deal. It's been a while since an American won a Grand Tour, but what's even more interesting about this is that the entire Jumbo Visma team swept first, second, and third place, which is unheard of in a Grand Tour. So Primus Roglic, Roglic um, won the Giro d'Italia and came in second. And then Jonas Vingegaard was the winner of the Tour de France. He came in third. So they swept the uh, the Volta one two three with a single team, which almost never happens. And they also swept the Grand Tour with three winners. So Jumbo Visma is like... They're like the the New York Yankees of the you know the 1950s with cycling right now. It's unbelievable. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Wow, so. you've been working on your Italian. I I can tell. I'll tell you, I, I get the pronunciations <laughs> down when I listen to this European cycling. So, Primoz Roglic, Jonas Vingegaard, that's awesome. and Oh, that's so cool. Yes. Okay. All right. So, hey, first sponsor. We have Vaucluse Gear. Do you have a sweat problem? Sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate, and this can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. We've got good news at Slasher for you. There is a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem. Vaucluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, sizes 
sizes, 15 liters to 65 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing less than a pair of socks at just over three ounces. Whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. So visit VaucluseGear.com to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER to enjoy a $5 discount. Plus, you let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. Cool. Very good. Very good here. Uh, what about stickers, Stomp? What about free stickers? Free stickers? Yeah, hey. Anybody want some stickers? You can get them at Ski Fanatics off of Exit 28 in Campton, New Hampshire, or at the fabulous Spinner's Pizza Parlor, which is located in Andover, Mass, off of Dascom Road, which can be, uh, it's an exit off Route 93 South. And a uh, quick little plug here, if you want to advertise with Slasher, give us a hoot and we can talk about our plans, whether it's a piece of gear or some art that you're selling or whatever it may be. This is a great, great place to get it out there to the hiking community. Excellent, Stomp. So this is the part of the show where we talk about what, um, what brew we are uh, drinking, what beer we're drinking. Yeah. You're back to the beer thing, huh? Yes. <laughs> I'm back to Fat Mike. What you got cooking tonight? I've got a very hazy from Treehouse Brewing. Oh, Treehouse, huh? It's a nice purple can. Yeah, can you see this one? Uh, yeah, I can see it. Check out those big speakers. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's perfect for a DJ, right? What's so it called? It's called Garage Land. It's a cold IPA at 6.2 ABV, and it's by Notch Brewing. Very cool cover. I love it. It's like green with these gigantic speakers on it. <laughs> yeah, it's right up your alley. Yeah, Mine's exactly. like 8.6% 8, 8. alcohol, so I'm going to be a little loopy tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those eights, man, they're tough. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a kick. So uh, recent hikes, I haven't, I mean, I'll, I'm going to go over, we're going to do a full segment on Yosemite in a minute. Sure, sure. And then um, what have you done, Stomp? Well, last Sunday, Mrs. Stomp and I made it out to uh, the Cardigan region, Mount Cardigan, uh, towards the southwest of the state. And uh, it was a nice day, nice and cool, you know, 70s, a little bit of uh, overcast during the middle part of the day. But we decided to tackle a mountain that's just connected to the south of the peak, and it's Orange Mountain, which is formerly known as Mount Gilman. And... It's on the 500 highest list. I've done it before in the winter. Uh, it took me two times, actually. The first time was just, um, you know, thigh-deep snow and uh, snowshoes, just breaking trail. It was exhausting. So it took me two times, got out there, and I realized that the view was just phenomenal because you're looking north to the summit of Cardigan, and uh, it's just really, really beautiful. Um, it was perfect. We saw maybe three or four people on trail, which is another great selling point if you're trying to avoid a bunch of folks. Oh, here's a funny thing. When we first arrived at the uh, state park parking lot, there was literally one car spot left uh, in the parking lot, and uh, we barely fit in. And um, so if you're going to do it, you probably have to get there super early or uh, opt to go a little later if you want to grab a spot because it did clear out by the time we got out off trail. 
So, yeah, so if anybody wants to replicate this trail, we went up the uh, traditional trail towards Cardigan and then branched off uh, onto South Peak Trail, which takes you up to Skyland Trail, which is... uh, it starts at Rim Peak, if anybody's familiar with that area. All open mm-hmm. summit. It's just beautiful. And Orange itself is just open ledge. Um, and the view of uh, Cardigan is just it's just awesome. Super cool. Is it Orange or is it Oregon? Orange. It's definitely oh, okay. Orange. We, oh, by the way, there's not much information online if you're trying to look it up right now. I am. Yeah. Very, I see an little. Oregon mountain, but not an orange mountain. So interesting. Mm. Super secret then, Snob. It's it's somewhat secret, but if you look up Cardigan Trail Map, um, yeah. that will show you the trail system, and it'll, it'll probably list Mount Gilman. Um, Got it. Yeah. Nice, nice little hike. I think it round trip like five miles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see. It's like in the southern section. I see Gilman there, so. Yeah. Very good, Snob. Pretty cool. So you're going to wait until your big section, huh? For your hike? Um, yeah, I think it's coming up in a minute anyway. So All right. So we'll just do notable hikes. Yes, sir. So if you want to tag Slasher on your adventure, you can be considered for Slasher's Hike of the Week. I think we're limiting these to about 10 or so. Uh, really trying to inspire people to send us some fresh, unique adventures. And we have several here this week. Uh, Amy Frisch at 10 um, hiked the Scour, which is right in my backyard. It's a lovely, lovely hike, especially with the foliage coming in. That is one spot you want to see. Uh, park in Waterville Valley and um, follow Livermore Trail in. A couple miles up, and you're going to have an amazing view. Uh, Marley Sue, too, hiked North Kinsman for flags on the 48. Wild and Outdoors hit the Adirondacks and hiked 15 miles around Avalanche Lake, Lake Calden, and Mount Calden. Beautiful pictures. Thank you for tagging us. Steve Summits, four peaks in the Bigelows of Maine carrying hero stones. This is a really neat thing. So carrying hero stones and flying old glory on West Peak to commemorate those lost on 9-11. Beautiful. Thank you, Steve. A. Folsom 33 hiked Lake Colchuck at the Enchantments. Now, this is out west. A little bit of research will tell you that it's in Washington State, and it's part of the Cascade Range. Have you ever been out there, Mike? I have. You I have. have. I, I did um, Granite Mountain out there in the Cascades, which was a cool summit. Okay. Are you familiar with this particular hike? Heard of it, but uh, not, not, I haven't been, I mean, I haven't been on it or anything, but I have heard of the Enchantments Trail. Okay. Now, here's something new, huh? Jakester D2 climbed Whitney Gilman. Now, for those that are not climbers, if you're traveling through Franconia Notch and you're looking at Cannon, Whitney Gilman is one of the climbs uh, on Cannon Cliffs themselves. And it's uh, towards the southern third of the cliff wall. You'll see a big gully. And it's the climb to the south of the, the big uh, I think it, the Black Dyke is now what it's called. Um, I don't know. We hope to have uh, somebody on soon to cover the world of New Hampshire uh, climbing. So stay tuned for that. And that's this just one topic we really haven't taken a really deep dive on. So, yeah. all right. So nice job, Jake. Uh, Rev. Jakester turning his back on us on his hiking friends. How dare he? <laughs> Getting some vert. Pretty intense. Yeah. So Rev JMG 
hiked Liberty and Flume. Hiking feeds my soul. Hiking with dad on his 80th birthday. This is super cool. And they were, uh, yeah, they had a great time. Uh, the second hike was posted, uh, and that was Signal Ridge up Carrigane for 21 out of 48. Good LB Boyd, Manchacora. Snow Angel, Rocky Branch to Isolation in the Hurricane Winds of Mount Lee. Or Hurricane Lee, what am I talking about? Um, pretty sketchy. That um, I've seen some videos and experienced the winds myself that day, Mike. I think you were out west. Um, Lee was pretty potent, especially for the higher summits. Um, yeah, I'm surprised there wasn't more damage and more blowdowns and more reports of trouble, but I think we lucked out. And two left here, Amy Frisch at 10. Hiked Mount Meter and Eagle Crag. And then finally, I think this is my favorite. I don't want to influence your decision making here, but RPM CC85 tagged us for a hike that she did with Zoe. Zoe is a dog. It's a tri-paw puppy. So this dog only has three legs. And the dog hiked up North Tri-Slide and down South Tri-Slide. <laughs> oh, that's impressive. Oh, that's super impressive. So, With wow. One paw tied behind its back. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. Is there a picture of this? I got to see this. It's, it's on the Instagram. Um, it's a recent okay, tag. So, yeah, you'll, you'll see it in the tag section. So, I don't know. That's keep, my fave. Well, I mean, I'm not going to give it to them because so keep keep tagging us with the three-legged dog, but I got to give it to Steve um, Summits up in Maine, <laughs> Flying Old Glory. So. Oh, yes, yes. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome selection, people. I really appreciate it. Good tags. Yep. Keep up the good work. Stomp loves the notable hikes. I do, too. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun seeing what people yep. are doing out there. All right, Mike. You ready for your section? My moment. Yeah. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. So again, I'll have Tom on the show at some point. Like I just like logistically, it just didn't work out. So I'm sorry, Tom, if you're listening, I will have you on. I do want to thank Tom for joining or for inviting me. You know, it was 100% his idea. He organized everything. So I just had to show up. He did the itinerary. So credit goes to him for sure. Awesome. Um, I'm going to make fun of him a couple of times here. So he will need to come on to defend his honor. But anyway, <laughs> five days with me in the woods, he, he deserves a medal. Um, so a couple of <laughs> things about Yosemite. So we, we traveled to Yosemite, some fun facts here. Um, it is 759,000 acres. It's roughly the equivalent of Rhode Island as far as land size goes. And 95% of it is... Uh, designated in wilderness so there's not a lot of like trail signs blazes anything like that it's just right you know you'll get like signs to summits but that's about all you get inside of there so it's it's pretty easy to navigate um the highest peak is mount lyle Mm -hmm. at 13,114 feet um there's more than 400 species of vertebrate including fish amphibians reptiles birds mammals um, Yosemite is famous for its giant sequoia groves and oak woodlands, and it is home to about three to five hundred black bears um, that live in the park. So the typical wow. adult 
black bear will weigh 350, a female weighs 250. They tell you if you see a bear in a developed area, uh, make as much noise as possible, um, stay at least 100 yards away, um, keep all food out of your car, and uh, always keep your food within arm reach and never leave it unattended. So mm-hmm. they have a lot of like bear boxes and, and lockers around everywhere. So it's pretty easy to store your food. Um, in addition to that, I'm just flipping through my little handy like information book here. Um, backpacking requires free wilderness permits. So for all overnight trips in Yosemite, um, you need to have a permit. So 60% of the wilderness permits reservations become available by lottery 24 weeks in advance at recreation.gov. Of these, any remaining reservations after each week's lottery becomes available on a first-come, first-served basis on the Friday after the lottery application period closes, and they're available up to three days in advance. So the remaining 40% of the reservations become available seven days in advance. So it's really just going on to recreation.gov and rolling the dice to see where you can get a permit. There's no guarantee where your entry permit's going to be, but you do need to follow um where your entry permit is so it could be in anywhere of like six or seven different um starting points so we were at mono meadow which is off of glacier point so there is this permitting system here and then uh yosemite is known for its waterfalls so i'm just flipping through my little bookie here stomp so it has two of the world's 10 tallest waterfalls yosemite falls (laughs) is the fifth largest waterfall, which is at 2,400 feet. And then Sentinel Falls is at 2,000 feet. We did not see Sentinel Falls. In addition to that, they've got um, famous falls, Bridalville Fall. They've got um, Illouette Fall. They've got Nevada Fall. And then um, Vernal Falls. So uh, there's a lot of cool waterfalls to be had. So the, the picture you posted, which one was that? Or uh, probably Nevada Fall. Okay, falls, so how, I would bet. How would high? Bet. And then uh, Vernal Falls, too. How high were those? Those are about five, six hundred feet. Okay, because the pictures just don't, you can't capture the height in your pictures. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And typically, the time of the year that we went in September, usually those falls are not running, but there's still, um, there's still a significant amount of uh, snow in the higher summits up in the Clark range. So, um, wow. Yeah. So it's still running pretty well, luckily. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it'll be, maybe those will turn into glaciers eventually. So we'll see (laughs) a little bit of history on the park here. So, um, the history of people in Yosemite goes back thousands of years. American Indians traveled and used this area since the ice age, uh, glaciers receded, providing an environment for plants, animals, and people to survive. Their descendants remain a part of Yosemite's history to this present day. 1849, the discovery of gold in California meant new groups of people arriving in California. Competition for land and resources brought many of these groups into conflict and often into violent confrontation. So the first non-Native American group to enter Yosemite was the Mariposa Battalion, which was a Euro-American militia formed to drive out the native Awanachi people onto reservations. So they basically came in, took as many natives as they could find, sent them down to a reservation down by uh, Fresno. And then after the Mariposa Indian War came to a close, Yosemite was now open to settlement and speculation. So 
Um, pretty soon people started making their way in. Uh, two, two men in particular were uh, critical in the sort of the awareness around Yosemite. John Muir and Ansel Adams um, had significant contributions to make sure that Yosemite became a national park and was well known uh, by um, people from around the world. Right. So, um, in addition to John Muir and Ansel Adams, there was a significant contribution by Chinese workers who had, you know, they relocated to California around that time. They were expert road builders, so they mm-hmm. were able to build all the roads that came in from San Francisco out to Yosemite. And these roads exist today. They're all sort of built into the side of the mountains, um, as well as tunnels. So, these Chinese workers were expert road builders. They were also involved as cooks and um, all of the support staff for uh, the settlers. Um, John Muir, who I had mentioned previously, um, his name is the is is given in honor of a large through hike. So it's like a sixteen day, fourteen day through hike that goes from um, it sort of does like a big loop hike and uh, part of it's on the Pacific Crest Trail and then part of it goes south back into Yosemite. But John Muir was a um, uh, a, na- a naturalist and he was somebody who had first visited Yosemite in 1868. He eventually started up a sawmill and then he started build- He started a publication which focused on glaciers. He was able to get published in the New York Tribune. Um, throughout the 1870s, Muir's um, newspaper publications grew steadily and more and more he became a prolific writer and an advocate for um, Yosemite. Um, eventually he got married and he also worked with, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, and he, he was basically Theodore Roosevelt's tour guide, uh, of the park in 1903. His words to Roosevelt and state authorities eventually led to, uh, the Yosemite grant moving into the federal government in 1906. So Mira was a, the first president of the Sierra Club and was a, um, sort of a strong early environmentalist that crusaded against construction um, of different parts of Yosemite. So um, he only lived there for a few years, but he's forever connected with it. So John Muir, uh, definitely a a cool through hike if you're interested in looking at the John Muir Trail. Ansel Adams is another person that I had mentioned. He was born a little bit later in 1902. He was most famous for his photography. So through the 1950s, um, he was known for... um, you know, posting photography of all of these amazing areas, particularly the face of Half Dome. So, right. pretty well known, famous guy. Yep. Famous towering figures. Yep. And then uh, the last person of note that I want to talk about from a history perspective, then I'll get into our hiking, is Thomas Starking. So, Starking was uh, born in Boston. He was a uni. Um, universalist preacher, I believe. Uh, When he turned 18, he became the principal of the Boston area high school in Charlestown that was tied to his father's church. Um, He was small in stature, but had a deep voice, a sharp mind, and rhetorical skills that rivaled um, the best preachers in the area. So he was a prolific publisher, and he introduced himself to a lot of the Boston literati, Longfellow, Emerson, Theodore Parker, um, he was involved in the Unitarian Transcend- Transcendentalist and Abolitionist movement. Mm-hmm. Um, 
He was known to travel up into the whites in the summer seasons, and he um, there's actually a summit um, which is on the 52 with a view, I believe, that is named after him that most people will go if they hike Mount Wombach. So Mount Starking is named after him. Eventually, he moved out to um, San Francisco and then became involved in conservation efforts for Yosemite. And there's also a peak that um, is named after him called Mount Star King. Mm-hmm. So um, he was responsible for a lot of sort of the getting the early message out about the beauty of Yosemite. So, Star King. Star King. I slept out under Mount Star King my first night. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's a Star King up here. Yeah, there's two Star. Yeah, they're both named after the same person. Gotcha. All right, Stomp. So, let's just do a day-by-day breakdown here. So, day one, I met Tom at five in the morning. We drove to Logan Airport, got on our flight. Uh, We flew into San Francisco. People tell me that... Uh, San Francisco is a little dicey. Sometimes it can get foggy there, so it's a little bit dicey to to fly in. Some people recommend to go to San Jose, but we had no issues. We flew right into San Francisco and moved right, right along. Um, Good. We mapped out. We made it over the bridge towards Oakland. We, we landed in. We got a rental car, and then we stopped in Dublin, California, which is right over the bay. There was an REI there, so we stopped there to get um, gas canisters and a couple of small things that we we forgot. Yeah. Um, and then there was a Mexican food place, like right in the um, right across the street from the REI. And me and Tom went in there. We were the only white guys in the place. Everybody was there for lunch. It was packed. They were all there for lunch, working and whatever. And I was like, I can tell this place is going to be fantastic. There was a few flies around and stuff like that, but I could tell it was like a legit. <laughs> Mexican food place and it did not disappoint it was fantastic oh, there you go yeah yeah so it was uh, it was really good and then we stopped at the grocery store got some peanut butter and some some wraps for backpacking I did notice the gas out there in California stopped six bucks a gallon yeah it's always ahead of us but six that's bucks a gallon so get ready it's going up yep. um, it's about a three and a half four hour drive to Yosemite you start off going on highways and then you get to these like two lane like roads where you go through this agricultural section where there's a bunch of um, peach trees and lettuce and grapevines and all this stuff. I guess they make the cheap wine out there. So um, yeah. I thought it was a pretty cool drive. Then you start getting elevation gain and then you eventually enter Yosemite. When you get to the gate of the park, you've got to buy like a pass. So I bought like an annual pass. It's $80 for the pass. And then um, we headed down into what's called Yosemite Valley. So um, once we entered Yosemite Valley, we stopped at the visitor center. They have a village store there. So you can basically buy like groceries, any food you want. So you actually don't even need to buy any groceries. You can buy everything there at Yosemite. They've got all the snacks, anything you need for backpacking. Oh, that's good. They've got beer there. They've got all kinds of stuff there. So um, I thought that was pretty good. Um, then we walked over and we got our, we had to go get our permit. So you get an email notification saying that you get the permit, but then you have to go to the actual ranger station to pick up your paper permit. Um, so once you go there, there's a, a, a forest ranger that will give you your permit. We got a separate permit for Half Dome. 
and then they'll answer any questions. So we got there. The lady was nice enough, but like Tom immediately pissed her off. So he's like, (laughs) he's in it. So Tom's an engineer. So he asked like very detailed questions. Okay. And he's always looking for like the corner case to like, figure out like what the answer is so he's like somehow he asked her like what if we want to climb half dome twice what he meant was like if we started to go to half dome and then all of a sudden it rained and we had to turn around could we go back up Uh. but he didn't say that he was just like can we hike it twice and the lady like was like you could but why would you want to (laughs) (laughs) and i was like oh she's pissed um and then she's like then she's explaining like the the um you know if you have to, if you have to, you know, nature calls, you have to dig a cat hole. Right. And they were like, you cannot, like the soil here, the toilet paper does not break down. Um, and then she like explained, she's like, if you're in a campground, you can use the privies there, but only use the toilet paper um, for the privy because it breaks down in the privy. But Tom was like, well, what if we use the toilet paper from the privy in a cat hole can we use that and I was and she was like he was confused she was confused I was just like let's get the hell out of here and it was just she was done with him by the time like we were we were finished I was laughing it was kind of funny <laughs> oh man that's really funny so but you know what turned it around I threw out Moose I was like hey do you know Moose and uh, Moose Motlow who was on the show and she was Sorry. like yeah I do know Moose so then we turned it around oh there you go yeah yes. you always pull out the Moose card Correct. So thank you, Moose, for uh, for saving us. And we apologize for frustrating you, the nice lady. <laughs> so anyway, so next off, we went over to, um, once we had the permit and we had visited the visitor center, um, I had taken a couple of pictures of t-shirts, sent them to the kids, said, what do you want for t-shirts? So I was covered there. Then we went uh, about a half a mile down to what's called Curry Village. So Curry Village is where you can sleep out. They have canvas tents. Um, oh, that you can stay at. Yeah. And I think it's like 150, 200 bucks a night. And oh, they cool. have two bedroom or two bed tents and four bed tents. So we had a two bed tent in Curry Village. They have another grocery store there. And then they also have a climbing school that has, it's basically like a mini REI. Right. So I had gone in there, I had to buy a pair of socks. Um, and then they have a pizza place. They've got a cafeteria. They've got a, a a place where you can plug your stuff in and, and charge all your, your gear. There's no internet. There's no cell connection in Curry Village. So, and they have no internet either. So that, that was kind of kind of rough. But we, we survived. <laughs> but our rough. mission was <laughs> we, we needed to leave our car at Curry Village because that's where we were hiking out from. But our mission was we needed to get a ride to the trailhead, which was like 15 miles away. So Tom was pretty good about this. So he met a guy named Dia who was the manager of the cafeteria. And he was like, Hey, can you give us a ride out to Glacier point? And, um, he was nice enough to hook us up for a ride. We gave him a little donation for gas and a little extra for his time. Mm. Um, and Dia was super cool. Like we, we met him the next morning. So we got all, we, we, we got all of our gear ready, took a shower at Curry village that first morning before we headed out. And then, um, we met Dia around lunchtime, and then um, we hopped in his car. He explained to us that he's been working at the village for like the last two or three years. He works for Aramark, which is the food services place. Sure. And then he drove us up to Glacier Point Road, which is about 15 miles away. He was like, he really experienced it, hiked a ton. It was telling us all about the area, even like drove past our trailhead, took us out to 
uh, glacier point so we could get a view of Half Dome and sort of see the whole route that we were going to be taking. So um, he was super cool. Then he drove us back about six miles back to Mono Meadow, which was our trailhead. So we said goodbye to Dia, headed out for our hike. So uh, that was day two. Mono Meadow um, is basically like this open meadow. You start off at like 7,200 feet. We were hiking down to like 6,400 feet. So it was like four miles, maybe five miles actually the first day. Yeah. So first people we run into were three guys that were hiking out. They had been doing um, like a four-day trip. We were like, oh, where did you go? They're basically doing the same route that we did except coming out the same way we ask them where they're from they're like oh we're from massachusetts so i was like oh we're from massachusetts one of the guys is like do you know philip cassia and i was like yeah i know of him i don't know him but yeah. um oh so that was kind of funny he was talking about the four thousand footers he was asking about the patriots game so it was kind of nice to meet some local local massachusetts people yeah that's cool small world yeah small world um so then we made our way into um Mono Meadow, which is like this basically muddy meadow, and then we got into the foothills, and we ran into a group of California Conservation Corps Corps trail crew. So like 15 to 20 young people that were working in the Illouette Basin where we were camping, and they had they had a campground set up. So there was like they had tarps and tents and everything all set up, and we kind of knew we were going to camp close to them. So we found like a um, Illouette Basin, we we crossed the river. First we set up on the river, then I crossed the river. I was like, I gotta go check it out, check it out, and see what it looks like. Then I made Tom break camp down and I was like, we gotta move our camp and come across the river because the view was amazing. So we found this meadow that we camped under that looked out over um, Mount Star King and like three or four other peaks. And we just we camped there for the night. It was amazing. <laughs> How were the stars? Stars were incredible, yeah, incredible. And um, we had our bear canisters, our bear bear vaults. So we just the the uh, ranger lady had said she's like just put them like twenty steps away so you can see them. You know, you don't have to take it like seventy, eighty steps. Just put them close by so you can see them. So I just left it out. Um, once we got set up, there was rain came in. So we got hit with a pretty heavy rainstorm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we were stuck in our tents for like an hour or so. And I was sitting there going like, oh man, I hope this doesn't last. That was it. It ended after an hour, a little bit of puddling, but for the most part, um, that was the only rain that we saw the whole time. Yeah. Um, and that was it. You know, first day was pretty, other than the, the rain and the, the site selection, it was pretty, pretty easy first day so we eased into it right yeah i was wondering about the weather i mean we had it pretty good while you were gone thankfully yeah. except for that hurricane but good week yeah i was like oh man i hope this doesn't happen every afternoon but anyway next morning we get up break camp had our coffee um and then we were going it was a long day nine mile hike we we're going to go from illouette basin to little yosemite backpacker camp which is right below half dome mm -hmm. so this this hike was like like I said, about nine miles, and it was a total of, um, let me see here, about 1,800 feet of elevation gain, a lot of up and down. Sure. Um, but we made our way um, across Glacier Point. So we were under Glacier Point. We then crossed the Illouette River. 
we were able to see the Illouette Falls waterfall. Then we made our way up to this place called Panorama Point, where you can see out to Glacier Point, and then you can see Half Dome. Okay. So I had posted some pictures. You can really just see like the front of Half Dome. And then as we made our way across Panorama Trail, we hit Nevada Falls, and then from Nevada Falls, we hiked up to Little Yosemite Campground. So essentially what you're doing is you're sort of like hiking around Half Dome. So you're, you're facing it in the beginning, then you see the side view, and then you see the back view. Um, gotcha. And then Little Yosemite Campground is like... It's different. It was a different campground than like what you see in the whites because it was completely flat. So once you get past Nevada Falls, you've got this just large flat section with two two towering mountains. So you would have to on one side, and then you've got this other unnamed mountain on the other side with a river, right? That uh, the Merced River that mm-hmm. comes in. And like the campgrounds were immense. There's probably like 150 tents, 100 tents in there. And Hmm. every site had like a bear box. So we just found a site in the back close to the river, which is the water source, and just set up there. And, you know, there was like two people across from us, a group of four next to us, and then another group of four on the other side. Then there was a group that had a fire ring. And then, like, you look across, and there's just, like, dozens of other tents there. So you weren't alone at all. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It was actually fun. I walked around the the campground because I'm, like, a gear geek, and I was looking at all the different tents. So if you're into tents, you definitely (laughs) could walk around there. Did you feel like Um, you were on the frontier? Did feel like I was on the frontier, but it was, like, a little (laughs) bit, like... Stressful because we're like, okay, we want to get to get to bed and wake up early and hit half dome because there was people that were like, oh, we went, we left at eight o'clock and it was super crowded. You should leave early. So Tom wanted to leave early, and I was like, all right. So I think ultimately, like, we went to bed that night. I had no problem sleeping. Slept like nine hours every night. That's great. Um, then got up and did half dome. I already mm-hmm. talked about this. Um, so you know, you already sort of ran down the home half dome hike. And then once we got back, I was like deciding, like, do I go up and do cloud dress, which would have been like a nine or 10 mile hike. And I decided no. So what we did is we just hung up by the river and, you know, we laid down by the river and then like we could do a little bit of swimming. And then we decided to go take our dinner. We hiked down like a mile and a half back to Nevada Falls to see the sunset and then cook dinner down there. Mm. And like we were the only ones at Nevada Fall um, at the end of the night. And, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Then we walked back and then the next morning was our fifth day out and we were hiking back down into the valley to get to Curry village. So that hike there is essentially you go from Yosemite Valley campsite back down what's called the mist trail, which is like, um, you go below Nevada falls and then you cross back over the Merced River, and then you go to this other waterfall, which is called Vernal Falls. Once you hit Vernal Falls, that's when you get to the tourist part. So that's where it's like a two or three mile climb for the tourist that's on a paved walking path. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're like really in with the tourists that go and look at Vernal <clears throat> Falls as like the the highlight of their day. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, we made our way back to Curry Village. Um, and then the next day we were on our way back to the airport. So all good. 
that sounds like an amazing time. So you yeah. were really just uh, stomping trails the whole time, pretty much. Stomping trails the whole time. Um, Crushing peaks. For my gear, I had my tent. I had a um, REI quarter dome tent, which is about a pound and a half. I got a 20-degree Thermarest Vespa quilt, which kept me plenty warm. It got to around 40 degrees at night. Um, I used my Thermarest X-Therm sleeping pad. I had my camp pillow, which is just a blow-up pillow. Um, I had my Hyperlite um, Southwest backpack, which is like a 55-liter backpack. And then... um, my MSR stove. I have an MSR titanium pot. And then I had like two bagged meals. And then I brought like four things of Chef Boyardee for my dinners. And some Snickers bars. I brought some trail mix. Processed Um, crap. That was basically (laughs) it for food. That's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Which is good. A couple of other thoughts and advice I would have for people. So... If you're looking for a through hike, we met a we met a through hiker that was on the John Muir Trail. He was on um, he was doing 16 days. He said he thought you could do it between 12 and 14, but he did a bunch of side quests, so he was hitting like Half Dome and a few other um, summits. So he he was doing it slow, but definitely probably 12 to 16 days for the John Muir Trail. Um, I just want to call out, we only touched a small part of Yosemite near the valley. Yeah. Um, there's a whole, a bunch of other sections. There's Tulum Meadows. There's Yosemite West. There's the Clock Range. There's like Mount Whitney, which is out, um, I think, west. That's not even in Yosemite. But there's a whole world out there that you can hit. So we, we only hit like a small section of it. Gotcha. Yep. But yeah, that's it, Stomp. So um, when are you going out? Well, it's one of these days. It is on the bucket yeah. list. Yeah. I mean, yeah. ideally, the the thing that we want to do the most um, is just hit the desert, hit Arizona, hit New Mexico, yeah. those areas, and uh, see if we can make it up around there. But one of these days, yeah. my friend, one of these days. Yeah, yeah. But I would say, like, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would give this, like, a 9.5 awesome trip. Mm. So That's so yeah. cool. And again, I appreciate, like, Tom... Um, you know, we've been friends for a long time and, you know, we've hiked a lot together and, you know, he's, he's great to hang out with. And, um, you know, he puts up with me, I put up with him and, you know, (laughs) we're pretty honest with each other when we're, you know, when we're getting annoying or whatever. So it's a good, it's a good partnership out there. And we'll get him on the show at some point. Yeah, that's great. Any, uh, search and rescue activity while you're out there? Um, nothing that I was aware of, um, yeah, no, nothing that I was aware of. The ranger at the uh, the bottom of Half Dome did did warn us that they had had a they had a, a climber that had had a hundred foot fall off of the cables two weeks beforehand. Matter of fact, Tom's friend had been out there and had been there when the guy got injured. So this guy was very lucky. He fell about 100 feet off the lower portion of the cables when it was raining, and he did a compound fracture of his leg. Luckily, they were able to get a helicopter up to him and pull him off. Yeah. Wow. But he, like, I think it sounds like he fell through the cables and was he stayed inside the cables but fell, so. Sure. Yeah. Well, I can't even imagine. Whew. I still don't understand why... They don't have two by fours 
on large sections of the stanchions. Like it makes no sense to me that they don't do that, but I don't know, maybe they don't do it what, because- to, they, uh, Steps? Yeah, like they have the two by fours across the stanchions in yeah. most of the sections, but there's like a section where they don't have it and they could, but they don't. And it's the steepest section. And I don't know if it's because- it puts too much weight on the two by fours and they break or why yeah, who knows? they do that. Maybe they do it because they want people to just be more aware of this, the danger. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. I do yeah. not have an answer. It's a mystery. Well, hopefully it's not the same reasoning that uh, is applied out here to say falling waters. Uh, you know, there are so many sections that could be improved for safety, but yeah. they're not. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, but anyway, Stomp, that is Yosemite. If anyone's got any questions, reach out to me. Um, I'll post some more pictures on the Instagram and on the, the Facebook page when I get to it. Yeah, thank you. That was really cool. Yep. What's next, Stomp? All right. so we, hiking buddies? Yeah, we um, got to sit, well, I got to sit down with Ben Pease, uh, the president of Hiking Buddies, just for a brief little chat, get a little update, and um, he was over to record their promo that uh, you'll be hearing week to week now, so let's check it out. All right, so hey, Ben, thank you for coming by. Um, he's here in studio just for a brief little visit. We did some recording for their new plug that they're going to be uh, doing weekly with Hiking Tips, sponsored by the Hiking Buddies, and we just thought we'd say hi, and maybe you can give us a little update on what's happening in the world of Hiking Buddies. Well, thanks for having me in. I just wanted to start by saying that we are starting our October uh, buddy certification program uh, with our friends at Redline. That's starting up um, for both all ages as well as the 17 to 25 year olds that we're sponsoring the cost for. And uh, we opened registration and all uh, all seats filled up on that within 24 hours. So we were very excited about the response. So thank you to those who signed up and uh, we're expecting to uh, open up the uh, excuse me, the January courses uh, for the winter courses um, sometime in November. So uh, keep your keep your eyes peeled for that. Okay, so just a refresher on the course. So were these mostly people in the Hiking Buddies community or how did you advertise for the courses? Yeah, so we've been posting on the 501c3 page. Um, if you're not following that, um, take a look for that because that's actually a different organization altogether from our Hiking Buddies NH48 Facebook page. Although we do normally repost it there as well. But um, yeah, these are this is exciting. This is one of the first... Um, things that we've rolled out since Emily's hike. Uh, it's an initiative where we're trying to um, really reach the younger generation, but also provide education and courses for um, for everyone. Um, anyone who's interested in, in learning more about, you know, survival, safety tips, um, you know, winter hiking, um, there's just a, 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 a very wide breadth of information through these courses. And we worked with Redline to create them. And, you know, obviously they have a, a very... Um, deep history of, of education and they've been doing courses for quite a long time. So, right. um, it was, it was pretty easy, you know, for them to put something together that was very, um, you know, broad and all encompassing and, and we're excited to, uh, to launch it. And, uh, we're looking forward to these first couple courses, but mm. the main part was, uh, that we wanted to sponsor all the costs for 17 to 25 year olds. And, you know, we're just excited okay. about the response so far. 
Sorry for the banging. That's uh, yeah. Xylo. There's a cat trying to get in here. I yeah, think. yeah. The barbarians are at the gate. Uh, yeah, I keep them out because they're crazy. <laughs> I can tell. Hopefully, you won't hear that through the microphone. Better the door than my leg. So that's great. So how about a quick update on the uh, the Emily event and the the hike and all that. Sure. So we uh, we we had people hike um, mostly that weekend. There was a little bit of question about the about the weather, but we had um, a number of teams hit all of the peaks that um, Emily had remaining. Plus, we hit a lot of other peaks as well, just to sort of spread out. The fundraiser was uh, amazing. It went far above what we expected. Um, over ninety thousand um, dollars. Fantastic. We've, yeah, we've made. Um, Grants to four uh, search and rescue groups. We're going to hit a fifth here soon. Um, but the biggest grant obviously went to uh, Emily's Foundation. Um, so we made a, a, a large um, grant there. They have the same mission as us, which is education and trying to find ways to uh, reduce avoidable tragedies uh, in the White Mountains as well. And then, as I said, we have this initiative running now. And we have a couple things sort of in the oven that I can't announce just yet. But we're getting pretty excited about it. But it's um, 2020 before we'll um, be able to roll anything out there. But uh, for right now, um, we're just really excited about the um, the buddy certifications. And um, yeah, one project at a time, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, we've definitely, um, you know, Emily's hike and the after event were very successful, but they, they took a lot out of us. So we're kind of recouping right now. We're still pushing forward with everything that we want to do. But um, that was... Um, that was a big undertaking. Um, not to mention we had a, a lot of technology issues that were far outside of, um, anybody or anything we could have, um, expected. So, you know, we had to navigate a lot of challenges, but at the end of the day, everybody kind of came together. Um, we were really proud of all the people that signed up and fun did the fundraising and then hiked and then came to the after event. And, uh, now, you know, I just have this very big burden on my shoulders to come through with our um, objective. And so, you know, I want, I, you know, people have entrusted us um, with their time and their money through that event. And now it's up to us to, to start delivering this year and next. Um, so, you know, we feel like we have a responsibility to use those funds wisely and to actually produce something that, you know, meets our mission um, to avoid, you know, to, to reduce avoidable tragedies and, right. you know, in no, numerous ways. Yeah. And, um, on behalf of the search and rescue community, just a big thanks for the donations that, uh, hiking buddies made for the statewide search and rescue training. Uh, that was fantastic. And the, the team grants, it was really nice. Um, guys are off to a great start. Anything else? Yeah, I just wanted to plug, um, we have a free event coming up. So every year um, for the past few years, we've done Mountains and Microbrews. Uh, this year, the location is changing. It's on October 7th, which is a Saturday, coming up very quick. It's at Tuckerman uh, Brewing Company, uh, and it's mm. from 6 to 10 p.m. So there's no cost. Uh, you don't have to buy anything this year. We just want you guys to show up, um, have a great time, see you know new faces, old faces, uh, stomps face, you know, hopefully. Um, and we're just, um, you know, we just want to get people out there and really continue to build community. We feel like that's one of our pillars um, as an organization. Um, there'll be live music, yard games, raffles, we'll have swag tables out. And, um, you know, obviously, we'll, you know, have an 
opportunity for people to make a donation or to to buy something if they'd like to. Tuckerman uh, Brewing Company has been kind enough to donate 10% of their sales for the evening to Hiking Buddies. So just by coming out That's and great. grabbing dinner and grabbing a couple drinks and hanging out with your friends and making some new friends, um, you're actually supporting our organization at the same time. So we hope um, to have another successful year. We've had anywhere from 250 to 300 people most years. We're hoping to, uh, to meet or exceed that this year. That's great. So what are the details? What's the date and the time? Again, it's uh, Saturday, October 7th, and it's 6 to 10 p.m., and it's at Tuckerman Brewing Company. And make sure when you're checking that out online that you have the right one because there's a, there's a restaurant and there's some, you know, it's Tuckerman Brewing Company. Okay, great. And then finally, how do we get a hold of Hiking Buddies just so people that aren't familiar with the group uh, can check it out? Yeah, that's a good question. I probably should have hit that. Um, so anytime you want to reach us, whether it's about our initiatives or about mountains and microbrews or, or just have general questions, um, please use info at hikingbuddies.org. And generally, we'll be back to you within 48 hours. Awesome. Well, thank you for the update. And uh, I wish you guys the best in uh, 2024. It's like, can you believe it's almost winter? <laughs> Fall, forget fall. It's going to be winter in no time. Yeah. Oh, I actually have one other um, one other plug to make. If you can, yeah, uh, go for it. Bear with me. And and I, you know, speaking of winter, I do want to just bring up uh, once again. You know, to be safe out there, everybody. It's, um, it's you know, this is the time of year when um, you know tragedy strikes, when when mistakes happen, and um, I just encourage everyone to to make sure you're educated. And with that in mind, we do have. Um, on October 17th, so, um, you know, the week after or a couple weeks after um, the Mountains and Microbrews event, we have an online conversation with author Ty Gagne. Oh, and the topic of that is decision-making and risk in the wilderness. And um, Ty obviously has done a lot of research um, on tragedies and winter hiking and, um, you know, can really shed some light. So we try to do it in an educational format, but also leave a lot of time for question and answers. So if you've ever had questions for Ty Gagne, if you've read some of his amazing uh, books and you just want to talk to him or just ask questions in general about um, hiking or any of his topics in the past, uh, please join us. It's free and it's online. So you can be in your pajamas if you want to just. And they can get that at the .org. Yep. Hikingbuddies.org slash events. Okay, great. Oh yeah. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah, Ty's a great guy. Yeah, especially for new listeners. Um, this is the time it's most dangerous that you get to be prepared, bring all the winter clothing, and uh, Ty and the whole crew will give you a ton of guidance and information. Yeah, Ty's been very supportive, and you guys have been very supportive of our organization. We can't thank you guys enough. Oh, glad to be a part of it. All right, Appreciate great. It. Well, thank you for coming by. Of course, thanks for having me. It's safe to feel like I'm in the castle. All <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you can't give away the location. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won't. Not, not unless someone writes a big check. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Let that one slide. <laughs> all right, thanks for having me in. You bet. Take care. And we're back. Pretty cool. Yeah, they're up yes. to a lot of good things. Um, I would highly suggest that if you are in that age bracket where you can receive some of these uh, free trainings through Hiking Buddies, contact them and take advantage of that. That's great education, and um, it'll just make your trips a lot safer, and you'll actually be able to help others uh, if you happen to come across somebody on trail that needs your help. So very cool. Thank you, Ben, and Hiking Buddies, and... Uh, 
you're doing great work out there. Yeah, I'm jealous. You got you got to interview Ben this time. I, uh, I yeah, out. I was dragging everybody over to the studio. It was fun. I'm off, I'm off gallivanting. <laughs> So, uh, recent search and rescue news stomp. Um, so, we've got two out of the Grand Canyon, and I got breaking news on Grand Canyon. Really? So, um, Grand Canyon hiker dies trying to hike from South Rim to North Rim in a day. Yeah, I've heard this before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, a hiker died while attempting a grueling twenty mile, twenty one mile hike from the South Rim to the North Rim of the Grand Canyon in a single day. Um, so uh, the National Park Service said the park rangers received an emergency call on Saturday, September 9th, about a hiker in distress on the North Khabib Trail about one mile south of Cottonwood Campground. Bystanders performed CPR on the man identified as 55-year-old Ranjith Varma until a helicopter was able to land in the area. So... Mm. Um, National Park Service SAR personnel responded to the call via helicopter. Uh, they decided, given the location, that specialized helicopter maneuvers had to be employed to allow rangers to assume care of the hiker. Um, according to NBC News, the area where Varma was found is near the end of the rim-to-rim hike, which usually takes 12 to 15 hours. Um, park officials advise people to avoid hiking in the inner rim between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. due to extreme heat. Due to that, d- During that time, temperatures can soar above 120 degrees in the shade. So no, no details on what ca- the cause of death was, but it's pretty good likelihood that there was... Um, heat stroke. You know, heat stroke or something there. So, yeah. Um, this next one 120 was... 120 in the shade. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It, it's insanely hot out there. I mean, yeah. I've been out there. It's crazy. Um, all right, so... This one here, so Mojave County Sheriff's Office Search and Rescue put out a post on Friday the 15th indicating that they had received a call for help for somebody using an Apple device through a satellite connection. This is also in the Grand Canyon off of the North Rim. So there was a group of five friends who were backpacking on the North Rim of the the Grand Canyon along Kanab Creek when one of them, a 63-year-old male, had fallen and had a traumatic injury to his shoulder that needed emergency medical attention and evacuation. Search and rescue teams were activated along with the DPS Western Air Rescue helicopter. So um, the helicopter landed about a quarter mile from the injured hiker's location. The crew made their way through the creek and boulders to the hiker who was stabilized and then assisted back to the helicopter. He was then transported to Flagstaff Hospital. When asked about the other four hikers and their whereabouts, it was learned the injured hiker the hiker injured themselves around 2 p.m. earlier in the day. Once contacted for help using the Apple device was confirmed by the the hiking group, the other four hikers left the Apple device and continued on their backpacking adventures, leaving the injured hikers. So this sounds pretty bad. Yeah, They'd already been backpacking three to four days and had another three or four days ahead of them. So it was unclear what time the original call for help came in. So Mm -hmm. so that's the original story. Um, 
Later, there was an update where the injured hiker reached out to clarify his account of what happened on Friday 9-15. So he, he reached out like five days later because everyone's like, your friends are the worst friends ever. So apparently what happened, <laughs> what really happened is that all five backpackers were together that began in the Kanab Creek wilderness. They had hiked down to the creek and had established a campsite. The injured hiker and another hiker hiked further than the other three hikers had wanted to hike, so they split up, and apparently they were, the two hikers, the one that was injured and the other one, were on their way back to the campsite when the injury occurred. The other hiker left him alone and went to use an emergency device that was within the other three hikers um, who were a few miles away. When the rescuers arrived on the scene, he was by himself. So apparently it was like a group of three and then a group of two. The group of two, one of them got injured. One of those people that wasn't injured went off to find the other three so that they could call. In between that time, by the time they got back, the rescue team had already gotten him. So Mm. not as bad as it initially seemed, but still a little weird. It's just not the place to leave somebody behind. Yeah, that's not the place for that to happen, Stomp. I agree. Yeah, definitely not. Okay. So um, this next story is local. Moving on to the local stuff here, Stomp. So injured hiker carried down the Avalon Trail and an injured hiker rides the cog. Yeah. So uh, these two calls came in like right at the same time, it sounds like. So 3.36 on Sunday, September 17th, a call was received for a hiker... Um, who was injured after slipping on some rocks on the Avalon Trail, uh, 64-year-old female hiker from Shrewsbury, Mass. After the call came in, a rescue effort was coordinated in conjunction with the AMC, Twin Mountain Fire and Rescue, and other Good Samaritan hikers and a conservation officer. This hiker was on her way back down from a hike of multiple peaks in the area when she slipped. Um... This hiker is an avid hiker and was prepared for the hike with all the necessary gear, and she possessed a hike safe card. So there you go, George Pelletier. She had her hike safe card. (laughs) (laughs) Avalon Trail's rough. Oh my God. That last section of the Avalon Trail is brutal. Absolutely. Yeah. Covers some serious elevation. Yes. So um, I guess the AMC personnel were first on the scene and administered first aid where the rest of the rescue crew responded with a litter. Um, The hiker was loaded into the litter and carried down to the trailhead and then uh, loaded into an ambulance and transported to Littleton Regional for further treatment. So... Mm -hmm. um, And they gave her a shout out. They said that at times rescues are coordinated due to poor planning and poor decisions, but not this time. This rescue was simply an accident where she slipped on a wet rock slab and injured her ankle because stuff happens, Stomp. You bet. Yeah, happens all the time. Yep. And while that call was going on, another rescue came in uh, reporting a knee injury to a hiker on the Jewel Trail. I'm kind of coming around to the Jewel, Stomp. (laughs) Sounds flashy, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's like much, it's very fancy. So, um, 315, once the GPS location of this call was plotted, it was discovered that the injured hiker was within a quarter mile of the Cog Railroad. So, conservation officers took the call, um, advised the injured hiker that the best course of action would be for them to make their way to the Cog Railroad. The hiker said that they would try, and then a call was made to the railway, and uh, a request was made to have them 
pick up the hiker. So the cog agreed and picked up the injured hiker. As always, the cog railroad has been willing to assist in the never ending search and rescue efforts on Mount Washington. So that's really cool. I mean, this has got to be like uh, what the the 10th or 15th time we've, we've done a story like this. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. They're, they're great. Yep. Yep. And then uh, next up, this was right around the same time that these two were going on. Um, Sunday, September 17th, Fishing Game was notified of a hiker needing assistance on Mount Cube. This is a 51-year-old uh, female hiker that had summoned and was walking on the North Spur Trail. Pro tip, if you do hike Mount Cube, you always want to go on the North Spur because that's the best views. So don't really? ever skip that trail. That's that's a crime if you miss that trail. Cube has been on our list for quite a bit. Yeah, it's been coming up a lot lately. Yeah. So, I mean, it is like a, um, it's like a, it's, it's a very like slabby s- summit. So I feel like if it's, if it's been wet out, then yeah, it makes sense. So sure. anyway, this 51 year old hiker had slipped and fallen. So she was unable to recover before falling and sustained an injury to her head. Matter of fact, I think this is like multiple head injuries on cube have happened. So be careful there. So, um, mm-hmm. When 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 rescues happen in this area, they tend to um, activate a lot of the local fire departments. So they had Orford, Thetford, Lyme, Hanover, Cannon, Enfield, and Haverhill responded to assist the hiker, 51-year-old hiker from Westford, Mass. Um, the This hiker was with a partner. They started around 11.15, reached the top of Mount Cube, and it continued on the North Spur Trail to see a different view. Around 2.30, they were headed back to the summit to return to the trailhead when the hiker fell. So there was another Good Samaritan hiker that offered their assistance to the couple by providing first aid. They stabilized her, and then um, she was able to begin walking with assistance. So the call came in around 2.40. The rescue crew reached around 4.40, they reassessed her injury and continued to assist her down the trail to an awaiting uh, rescue UTV. She was able to ride in the UTV and reach the trailhead. So that trailhead's actually pretty good for like ATVs and stuff. They can get pretty far up there. So um, she was able to get to the hospital around 6.30 or so to Dartmouth Health. So Good, good. So that's uh, that's that one. And then this last one is a serious injury happened on Mount Monadnock. So this was a um, 65-year-old from Massachusetts. A lot of um, 60-something folks from Massachusetts falling down this week, apparently. Um, this hiker was on the White Dot Trail above the upper junction when she fell and suffered a serious head injury. Another head injury stomp. Yeah, a lot of them. Yep. Yeah, in the white dot trail, no I mean, it's slabby, slippery when wet. I mean, it's been a lot of rain, right? Mm, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so uh, so this hiker fell, head injury, hiking companions called for help, triggered a response from fishing game. Um, and then Mountain Patrol, um, a, na- a Department of Natural and Cultural Resources Mountain Patrol ranger and a volunteer at the park were close by when the call came in. They hiked up to the location. The Mountain Patrol Rangers and EMT, they quickly requested a medical helicopter due to the seriousness of the injuries. Mm -hmm. Uh, The hiker was placed in the litter with the help of passing hikers and um, was carried down the White Dot Trail to the nearest landing zone. Around 2.50, the Dartmouth um, Hitchcock Advanced Response Team, so the Dart helicopter, um, they tried to reach, but they had to abort their attempt to pick up the injured hiker due to inclement weather that had moved in just prior 
mm-hmm. um, conservation officers then reached out to New Hampshire Army National Guard to see if they might be able to pick the victim up. Um, yeah. While this is going on, they're trying to figure it out. Upper Valley Wilderness Response is hiking up. Um, and around 445, weather conditions had approved. So New Hampshire Army National Guard helicopter was able to land and pick up the hiker. And by 5 o'clock or so, um, the guard had transferred the hiker to Concord Hospital. So um, mm-hmm. two attempts, they finally got, got her going. But uh, that's, a, that's a scary one. Incredible story. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's a great example of what happens out here uh, on these missions. That's complicated. It's uh, dangerous. There's contingency plans. You know, you had Upper Valley coming up trail just in case the Black Hawk could not get in after Dart failed to get in. I mean, it's a lo- there's a lot going on during these missions. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I yeah. I haven't looked at the numbers yet, Stomp, but I feel like we're pretty steady. But it hasn't been too like we haven't had a crazy month. Like usually we'll mm-hmm. have like a crazy month. Like August will be out of control or September. I have to look at the numbers to verify that. But it just feels like it's been steady. Every weekend's been like a handful. Sure, sure. So, yeah. What do you uh, What do you thinking? Like, have you, have you been busy? Yeah, similar, similar vibes. No, no, it's not as busy as I would um, think it would be at this time of the year. We started off pretty busy, but for the fall, uh, end of the summer, it's pretty tame at the moment, at least on this side of the the mountains. Really? Well, yeah, that's good. Let's hope it stays that way, Stomp. Yeah, unfortunately, the wet leaves are coming. But the biggest culprit has been the wet ledges, no question about it. Just slippery rock. A lot of slip and falls this year. Yeah, well, stay upright is my advice to all the hikers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Stomp, it's great to be back. And uh, yeah. I think we're going to put a pin in episode 122, and then we'll be back next week. All right, see you then. Excellent. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me.
What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 